0: Hello, hello, this is Wilson Nowitzki in Hanover, Germany. You're listening to the very first podcast of Druff Records. We're a new record label based out of Hanover featuring improvised, mostly improvised music, which we call free jazz, Amagard jazz. I don't like the word experimental, it's not an experiment. I know it's going to be cool. Uh, so, for the very first edition of this podcast, we have a very special guest who happens to be and I guess it's not coincidental, one of my very, very best friends, Adam Kane. Adam was, at one point in time, uh, my teacher. This is how we first met. Um, I studied with him for a bit, and then I studied with his teacher, Connie Cruthers. and maybe through her we had a similar, or we developed a similar language for music, and um, But uh, I don't think we needed Connie for that, although she was a wonderful influence in my life. I uh, had always a natural flow with Adam, uh, both musically and personally. And uh, while I'm thinking about it, you know it's something I've always marveled at, that the people who I've clicked with on a personal level the most, are quite often the people I've clicked with on a musical level the most, even when we hang out and rarely talk about music just seems to be some, uh, you know, feature of, of being a human. Let those two things go together, at least for me. In any case, uh, Adam is a terrific guitar player based out of New York, New York. Uh, comes out of Rochester, but has been in New York for quite a while. Uh, his group, the Adam Cain Quartet, or is it a quintet? I believe it's a quartet. Um, recently released a record called Transmissions. Adam has also recently re-released a trio record uh, which he made under the name of the Adam Kane Trio, called Thousandfold. And he's got other music online, including a recent record with flautist Robert Dick, called The Damn Think, Not The Damn Thing, The Damn Think. I think I know much more about The Damn Thinking than The Damn thing, So the title makes sense to me. In any case, uh, so I sat down, or I didn't sit down with Adam. Uh, we sat down on different continents across from our computers and chatted for a while. So what you'll hear is just some of our thoughts about music, about the guitar, about improvising. There was a lot of nonsense in between that just had to do with our personal life. I cut that stuff out. And so we have some snippets uh, spliced in from Adam's music, Uh, again, featuring his his latest record, uh, Transmissions, uh, his record, Thousandfold. And uh, I cut out some stuff with Robert Dick from The Damn Think. So you guys enjoy out there. Again, this is Druff Records out of Hanover, Germany.
1: The latest album that came out <laughs> is, uh, seems like a long time ago now, last summer. You know, time has felt so weird this year.
0: Yeah, well, that's for sure.
1: It's like it's like it, it's. Uh, it's not like each day feels particularly long or particularly short. But when I look back to a year ago, it definitely doesn't feel like a year has passed
0: because like i more or less.
1: Well, last year feels like yesterday. But then the intervening time f- seems to be longer ago. Uh-huh. You know, like if I think, okay, last February, well, you know, I was, it was like the old life, you know, I was getting on the subway every day and trekking up to the Upper West Side or the Upper East Side to teach some guitar students and, uh, you know, w- with all that went with that, you know, it's like if I, if I went up to the Upper West Side, you know, I'd buy some groceries up there on the way home, I you know. Get home at 9 p.m and fix myself dinner and go to bed at one or two in the morning and you know like that kind of thing it's like you know that's not the way i'm living right now i'm just i'm here all the time i'm still teaching you know mm-hmm. i'm still teaching just as many students almost as i was back in february last year just all on zoom but you know i go to bed at 11 o'clock or so and get up at seven and you know everything's local everything is like you know i'm very rarely leaving the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, it just feels like a completely different world than it was a year ago, just as ter- in terms of my daily routine. And yet, uh, if I think back to like, like any time within this period of the year, it feels like very distant in a way because every, mm-hmm. every day feels sort of the same. So I don't know. Um, but that does not answer your question about what whether I want to plug my my latest projects or whatever. <laughs> um, so I did. I did a record that came out last summer uh, with a quartet called Transmissions. And that yeah, I was listening to that. called Transmissions. Yeah. Cool. Quartet's the Adam Kane Quartet, and it's with uh, Bob Lanzetti on guitar. You know, I'm on guitar too, so two guitars, and Adam Lane on bass, and Billy Mintz on drums. And uh, it's like uh, it's pretty composed. It's like a lot of a bunch of compositions that I wrote specifically for that group. And uh, with, of course, with a lot of improvisation as well, but more more composition than I'd done on other projects. And uh, so that's available on Bandcamp and Spotify and Apple Music and iTunes and all that stuff. And uh, I really miss playing with those guys. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I've got a few things that are that are sort of, um, you know, I'm still working on getting out. There's a, a, a album by this uh, group that I have called New York 69, which is a duo with Kevin Shea, the drummer. And uh, that should be out pretty soon. And then I have a trio that did an album uh, about 10 years ago called Thousandfold. That's with uh, Tom Blankard on bass and John Wagner on drums. And we have an album that's done. And uh, I'm going to try to put that out sometime this year. A newer one. Yeah,
0: yeah, a new album, yeah.
1: Nice man. When um, did
0: you guys record that?
1: Um, we recorded it. I think it was uh, like almost two years ago, summer of uh, twenty nineteen. Always takes me a long time to get these things ready.
0: Yeah, it I seems also, like that's a thing.
1: Yeah. Well, for me, it certainly is. Some people, it's less so. Yeah. Um, you know, I uh, I did a duo album with Robert Dick. About, right.
0: uh Oh yeah, I, I was we checking were, that out yesterday too. Cool.
1: I think we recorded it about three years ago. And, uh, you know, I was just really impressed with Robert's um, work ethic around this stuff. You know, we recorded the album. And uh, I think we recorded it right at the end of December, I guess 2017, that is. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he was he was uh, out of town on and off for a couple of months. And then uh, in March, he sent me an email like, hey, have you listened to the album yet? You want to get together and pick out some tracks? And uh, I don't think I had listened to it yet. And, you know, I, I maybe listened to it a couple times on my own. And then he came over. We just picked out, you know, we listened to it once together, picked out a handful of tracks. And then, uh, you know, next thing I knew, we were mixing it, mastering it, found a label to put it out. That's it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it came out. And, uh, he just really kind of kept on top of it every step of the process and i was really impressed you know because he's got a he puts out a lot of records right and that's how you know he just he just uh he's kind of relentless in his um in his approach (laughs) you're playing with other people you know unless that's something that you you sort of developed as a you know a group concept that you know form is flexible and you can you know depart from the form at will Mm. then uh i think having a solid understanding of how forms work and you know as to specific songs really helps you communicate with other people in the group
0: yeah that's for sure but if
1: you're playing by yourself you know you can do anything
0: yeah 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 yeah
1: yeah I mean mm-hmm. as far as students go i mean i don't know i'm glad that i had a teacher who was like you gotta gotta keep the form mm-hmm. that's just it you gotta keep it like all the time
0: mm-hmm. what are you talking about paul smoker
1: yeah paul smoker was uh he was real big on the form yeah uh, you know we would listen to like uh fairly complex jazz recordings like miles quintet Mm -hmm. you know plug nickel stuff like that yeah where uh, the form is obscured by uh you know the rhythm section yeah and the solo as well and uh you know he would sort of make me like clap at the top of each chorus that kind of thing Uh so that you know to get to so he could tell that i was really hearing the structure
0: right 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 um i mean i know from from talking to connie like uh for our listeners out there we're talking about our mutual teacher, Connie Cruthers. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> was that like a shout out? <laughs> that little toot that, that was just a horn on the street. I was like, shout you out know, to Connie Cruthers. you could hear
1: all the street traffic in my apartment. So clearly uh, whatever truck was driving by must've heard you.
0: Yeah, like, yo, Connie. But I mean, she was the first uh, um, teacher I had that uh, emphasized um, holding the melody in your head as a way of, you know, referencing the form i mean i don't know like you know i kind of i'm not like the best straight ahead jazz player but you know i also earlier in my life i was like a really shitty it's never good at it you know and uh but you know the only the only stuff i ever learned that even helped me even begin to, to to approach that stuff was a lot of stuff i came from connie that was just really really different than the the way i had been learning it you know and i um like the, the whole approach of holding the melody in my head and especially of knowing the lyrics was like the first thing that ever really helped me to be able to play through a form and feel free with it and and not feel like I was going to drop it. You know what I mean? Whereas like the whole way, of, the, the entire approach I'd always, you know, worked with of, of memorizing it in a kind of a numerical way, you know what I mean? Uh, like this many bars of this, this many bars of this and this many repetitions of that. Like as soon as I'm trying to like hold any of this kind of like, um wrote numerical memorization in my head like i will definitely lose it every time in a playing format you know
1: yeah yeah it's really remarkable that jazz pedagogy has moved so far away from just knowing the damn tune yeah yeah and not knowing it as a you know like you said like sort of a numerical sequence of uh of you know beats and chord changes But really knowing it on a more personal level, just like what does it mean to know a song? that's the essence of a lot of composition in rock music at least you know guitar based rock music mm-hmm. is that it's whatever however complex it sounds it lies well on the guitar if it was written on the guitar yeah true you know i, I mean i remember years ago just trying to figure stuff out rock stuff and uh you know, just like kind of coming from a, from more of a jazz head of like, you know, just let me get the right notes, but it often wouldn't really feel like the fingering on the guitar wouldn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And then when you actually realize what it really is, it's often much easier to play and much simpler and just sounds better because you get the, you get this sort of guitar based idea of writing.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well that would actually bring me around to a topic that I would love to talk to you about. Like, um, uh, i I'll never forget like my first semester in the music school this guy, uh, Greg, who's a fucking great guitar player but um I mean, he's a real serious guitar player, really good, but um he said like uh, you know from a jazz perspective, he said uh, the guitar is a cross between a shitty saxophone and a shitty piano <laughs> you know well, and like I mean I, you know what I always think he was getting at with that is like you you could try to play like pianistically, you know where you're trying to cover bass and chords and melody but on the guitar your hands are a lot more tied up than they would be on the piano so like unless you're Joe Pass it's like you know it's like technically really hard you're not free like on a piano or you can try to play like solo but a lot of times it lacks a lot of like the cool vocal quality or something that like a horn would have you know so like you from a jazz standpoint you have like one or the other and they're kind of both crappy on the guitar but I always wondered like you know, I don't like a lot of jazz guitar. I, like I've spent years trying to find like many jazz guitar players I can like or any actually even rock guitar players. But like what I always wondered about in jazz is like, why is it that, like a saxophone player? And it, it doesn't matter. He could be like, he doesn't have to be an avant-garde guy. He could be a straight ahead guy. But a saxophone player will allow himself to like play all of like the squeals and squeaks and screams. And you know what I mean? Like to fuck around with the reed and fuck around with, you know, like what the horn can do. Or like a drummer will let himself like hit the kid in any way he wants to, but even if they're even if they're relatively conservative players, like that's all like normal, you know. But for some reason, guitar players, for the most part, avoid, you know, in the jazz context, they avoid anything that sounds like the physical guitar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why is that? Avoiding open strings. Avoiding like buzzing. You know what I mean? Like.
1: Shall we discuss theories on why that's the
0: case? Yeah, definitely. If you have some. Do you have any? I really don't know. I mean, I'm like, I do not know. (laughs) I mean, well, maybe a better thing to ask is like, who are some guitar players that that are rad, who are not like restricted in that way, you know?
1: Oh, well, I wanted to offer a theory. I actually literally just thought of this right now. I've never thought of this before. So Uh we're getting it fresh from whatever source it is, um, yeah. but you know, I mean, guitar is so associated with rock music, electric guitar anyway, yeah. so associated with rock music. And I feel like some of those things that are sort of idiomatic to the instrument have become the, the, um, stereotyped sounds of rock and roll. Mm. So maybe that's one of the reasons that they're not as, you know, supposedly available to a jazz guitarist. Now, you might think, well, yeah, but I mean, jazz guitar started in the, you know, in the 1930s. But I don't think that it was that those things were quite as available based on the equipment, you know, because it's yeah. like to play to play a an archtop with heavy strings. In the way that I think you're talking about, where you have a lot of sort of freedom to access sounds and also through, a, you know, a relatively low volume amp. Mm hmm. A lot harder to get some of that stuff than it is if you're playing a guitar with a little bit lighter strings through an amp where you have some flexibility about your about your dynamics mm. you know if you're playing a a small amp with um uh you know with a relatively heavy pick attack it's really hard to get some of that stuff
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, well, maybe not i don't know i mean you but know, some of the
0: guys it, had i mean i would say like yeah. derek though- bailey
1: played like a you know like a jazz box through a, uh, I don't know what kind of amps he would play, but he had a very heavy pick attack. You know, mm-hmm. he, he certainly did lots of, uh, non-idiomatic jazz sounds.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As you could say. Yeah. Yeah. But even like, even the early, really huge guys, like Charlie Christian, Wes Montgomery, uh, George Benson, like even though they're not playing, they're not playing with rock sounds, you know, but, no. I still think they they sounded very guitaristic, very cool. I mean, I love George Benson's early tone. You know?
1: Oh man, it's great. And Charlie Christian, you know, he's kind of like playing with distortion sometimes.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. if
1: you're like the like the Minton stuff, which is you know my absolute favorite Charlie Christian recording yeah. Yeah. or recordings. I don't know. I don't think those are all from the same date. Um, and I love you know I love everything Charlie Christian ever played, uh-huh. but the uh, the Minton stuff is just. Uh, Completely outrageous, and his sound is almost distorted. I mean, it's not like
0: you
2: yeah. know,
1: like a heavy kind of distortion, but it definitely sounds like an amp that's breaking up.
0: Oh yeah, it sounds fat. It sounds really good. Yeah, I don't it's know like what a kind of really huge
1: using, but... warm sound. I, I mean, mean, I disagree with this thing about the guitar as a shitty piano or well, a shitty sound.
2: Yeah, it's and, a and I mean
1: Charlie Christian is just the perfect example. I mean, he was as good as anybody. You know what I mean? Like he right. he could hang with with uh, you know. Lester Young, right? To right. Show you an example of somebody who was around at the time.
0: Yeah. I mean, the guy who said it, like I said, he's a very, very great and very extremely dedicated guitar player. So I don't think he actually hates the guitar. He's like, like an Italian guy with an Italian sense of humor. You
1: know? It was. It's funny. I mean, it's definitely funny. And there is some truth to it. You know, I mean, there's some like, like the, the humor comes from the, the fact that there's like a little bit of truth to it. But I think at the same time, it's like, you know, guitar is a cool instrument. I mean, you can do, you can do stuff with a guitar that you can't do with the piano or with the sax. And yeah. I think that the, um, you know, it's sort of the, the limitations of, uh, you know, that's one of our, our jobs as a guitar player is to kind of like attempt to come to terms with what some of the limitations are of the instrument mm. and, uh, you know, find some different stuff to do. Cause yeah, you can't play, you can't play counterpoint lines the same way that you can on the piano. You can't play, harmony the same way that you can on the piano and with the sax you you know you can't sustain on the guitar in the same way i mean Mm -hmm. you know with a saxophone you can you can start a note softer and build into it you can't can't really do that on a guitar without some you know electronic stuff which is going to change your sound anyway
0: yeah 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 or feedback
1: or feedback but then you know it's a different different degree of control Mm -hmm. and uh you know, certainly the, the 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 amount of dynamics that you can get on an instrument that you're breathing into is very different from what you can get on a guitar.
0: Well, that's definitely true. Although this is one of the reasons I, you know, uh, still let my fingernails grow long and play with nails, you know? I feel like at least with the fingernails, I can get like some, at least for me personally, you know, just because I spent some years studying classical guitar. Like, um, that's where I really have the feeling you know, that I can get some of that feeling of personal, like physical contact at the point of like the uh, production of sound, you know?
1: Mm. Yeah. I wish I could do that. I've just never had strong nails.
0: Yeah, well, the problem is this, I get, you know, if I go play with my guys and then we get, you know, excited then I really rip in, and when you rip into an electric guitar with nails, it's like they're de- they're destroyed. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, and after if I play a show, it's like I'll get excited and like the nails are shot. You know, for two weeks, and so it's kind of like I have to. <laughs> you know, I blow, I just blow it all on one. You know, on one good stretch, and then they're, they they got to heal. I think you should know, get
1: some fake nails.
0: I've been thinking about it. Yeah, I've been thinking about that.
1: to say I, like the idea of like going out and dancing in a group of people just sounds like like unbelievably thrilling to me mm-hmm. you know, like i like i would i would dance to anything <laughs> right now, although i would definitely have my preferences
0: uh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and i
1: do i do like dancing to some of that stuff you know
0: yeah i had i had a couple of summers where I didn't show up on, I didn't show up by choice, <laughs> but I found myself often, <laughs> that was such a trip. I think I told you this before, but like when I was on tour with Stevie and to anybody listening to this, I'm talking about our Stevie Moore. So we are playing this very art rock stuff, you know, this weird outsider art rock. And like we would go on these European tours and uh, our audience is like who you would expect, a lot of guys. And uh, guys who like collect nerdy, weird outsider music, you know, like, you know, weirdo outsider guys, art school types and stuff. And then, you know, and then we would play the show. And then like after the show at the club, you know, for the late night thing, there was like the late night party with like a DJ and house music, you know? And like all of the same people that were at our concert would stay for the <laughs> the DJ and the house stuff. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, you guys are a bunch of like art rock guys. Like, this is like house music but it was and in america i always felt like this these these two things are very oh, yeah divided
1: well i could i can speak to that um you know i remember a bunch of years ago me and federico ugi went on tour with our duo project and uh we, we went on tour a bunch of times but on this one tour which was like a two-week tour in the summer i think it was like i don't know maybe 2013 or 14 We were like, okay, our goal for this tour is we're gonna go dancing as many times as possible. I think also we were gonna go swimming as many times as possible. That was that was like how we decided to have a good tour. Besides playing the music, it is really good
0: on on tour to go swimming. That is for sure.
1: It really is, especially in the middle of the summer. I mean, it's yeah, excellent. We actually got a few really, really nice, really nice swims in. I remember going to like a public pool in in uh, Toronto that was really fun, and we went swimming in Lake Michigan. And we went in this like this like funky swim hole in between D.C. and Baltimore. That was like I'll never forget it. I mean, it was you know wonderful, yeah. like very very relaxing. Like really really cooled us out. And then you know later that day I was like yeah like I'm kind of uh you know brown you know there's like this <laughs> stuff on me anyway. Um, yeah, but we went dancing a bunch, and I just remember uh, you know usually we'd ask whoever set up the show, which often who, you know, whoever was putting us up that night, like, Hey man, we want to go dancing. And, uh, most of the time people were like, what you guys want, like you want to do what? Um, but we, we did manage to have a few fun hangs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, I got into it, you know, like, because, you know, when you're on tour, a lot of times you can't, you know, you're kind of a hostage. You can't leave, you know,
1: Yeah. Yeah, like I so never as well find something fun to do
0: yeah we always wind up at these spots you know and like I well at some point you think if you can't beat them join them you know and uh yeah i started getting into it you know uh i did i did well I, i've always been a dancer
1: you know ever uh, since uh i mean not when i was a kid you know I, I you know actually i was really like i never moved at all when i was a kid i just you know i was fucking stiff and then uh when i went to college um there, you know, I had I had like a friend or two who they were doing these like these dance classes. You know, these kind of like crazy contact improv dance classes. You know, some real like like touchy feely hippie kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, I don't know why, why, but I took one of these classes, and it was like really fun. You know, it was really cool to, to get, kind of get into my body and move a little bit, yeah. and uh, and be able to do that with other people and have that experience of like moving with and touching other people, yeah. and then. Right around that time, I started uh, going out and dancing in clubs in Rochester and uh, it was just, you know, it, it just worked. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying I'm a good dancer, you know what I mean? I probably look like an idiot out there, but on the on the rare night that I'm doing it and I can really, you know, just kind of get loose and stop worrying about everything. It's uh, it's like a thrilling experience. It's, it's uh, not entirely unlike playing music.
0: Yeah, man, that's for sure. That's for sure. You i know. mean yeah you know i uh, i mean you you said this when you're talking about connie and it was definitely or when we we're talking about something but like talking about getting the music in your body you know and i mean i learned that from connie on the level of um single pitches you know uh just singing a pitch and not not hearing it in my ear as being higher or lower in frequency to the correct frequency but feeling resonance you know like Oh yeah, yeah. I had this really nice arch top at the time, and it was really resonant. And like the feeling, you know, I, I, I thought like it's so nice, like the feeling of um, of a nice resonant guitar because the the body is pressed up against your you know breastplate. And uh, if I would sing a pitch, you know, like I and it, it was the same pitch that I was playing on the guitar. I had this feeling, and it's not just a feeling; it's like what's physically actually happening is that the, the, the vibration from the guitar is. Is, is being pushed, you know, I felt this, this feeling that it was actually not me like trying to hit the right note, but that the guitar was just pushing the note through my lungs, you know, which is, you know, as long as, you know, if I was resonating with the guitar, that is what was happening, you know? And, uh, and so like getting into this level of like experiencing pitch, not just in my little eardrum, but like in the whole body, you know? And then getting into just like, you know, that I think that, you know, got me on the track of, of thinking about m- music, generally speaking, in, in terms of the body, you know, like uh, I, 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 at some point I, I had the thought recently, like um, I thought, well, how is it that we're able to keep uh, tempo? Like, why is it that like, if I give you a tempo that you can hold it? Like a clock has like a, like a, a piece of, quor- like a quartz battery in it that's putting out a charge at a certain frequency. But like, what is the mechanism in the body that can measure time? You know what I mean? Like, is there some clock, you know, like in the body? I mean, I don't know, but I started thinking like, why do, why do humans have the capacity? Why do we even have the capacity to, to sense a uh, tempo? And I don't know if it's true or not, but the thought that occurred to me is because we can walk. And if you don't walk in a, or run in a even tempo, you will fall down. You know what I mean? So I thought maybe it's this, you know, like maybe it's just being able to walk. Which would explain why our music is like often based in you know two and four, but um, but yeah, man. Just I mean, in the more you know, go, getting onto that track, like it's you know, at some point, I just feel like, well, these are the these are the things that are far more important to me than anything else about the music at this point. You know what I mean? Like uh, you know how it's ex- how I experience it physically, you know. But
1: yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's been an interesting study for me in this last year to learn to sing in just intonation. Yeah. You know, which is all about resonance.
0: Yeah, yeah. That shit will change your life.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's definitely given me a different different relationship to pitch and yeah. to a lot of things, really. I mean, it's just a, it's a deep study that yeah. I feel like I've barely scratched the surface of. You know, I'm never going to be a, a raga singer. Yeah. But to learn a little bit about That thing is uh, amazing.
0: I had a thought like some years ago i had a thought like oh you know maybe the internet maybe the whole internet age is really perfect for improvised music you know because uh a lot of people would listen to the music if they listen to something on the internet you know maybe they click it once and maybe they hear it once you know and then i think like yeah well it's improvised music so i also only played it once (laughs) you know if i put 10 minutes into playing it you put 10 minutes into listening to it or even you know what i mean and uh whereas you know like if you were gonna if i was gonna like spend you know thousands of uh dollars and and many months like working on a rock record i would hate to think that somebody just clicked on it on their phone once you know what i mean but if i like well not that that's happening anyway but like with improvised music i think like yeah i mean i just improvise it in real time and then you can just hear it once and that's fine i'll do it again tomorrow you know what i mean but you know but uh yeah, I mean, I wonder about this. If this is like a good approach, like dump, just putting out lots of material. I guess I've always been guys who have done that. Or if like in the internet age, if there's some, if there's still a point to like working on really high quality and 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 I don't know. We'll see. You know.
1: You know, I've been getting back into CDs. Ah. I got a I got a CD player recently, and uh, you know that like hooks up to my receiver, coming out through my big speakers. Now I hook my computer up to that too. So, you know, whenever I listen to music at home, it's not on my computer speakers or on my, you know, Bluetooth speaker or whatever. I'm constantly giving my students shit about this. Yeah. That they're listening to music on like these tiny, tiny little speakers. I'm like, you can't hear anything. You can't yeah. hear the bass. You can't hear the low end of the guitar, or the drums. Anyway, I got, I'm getting back into CDs cause I've always had a lot. I never I got like rid CDs. of my CDs and, uh, you know, it's just really nice to be able to put on a CD and nobody knows about it. You know, it's not being tracked by the Spotify algorithm. It's not being tracked by the iTunes or Apple Music algorithm or Google. You know, it's just like nobody nobody knows what I'm listening to. And I appreciate that. And, and it actually sounds better. I mean, yeah.
0: I think these you know, are and, great.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, remember when CDs came out and everybody was like, these things sound terrible. But you know, they sound way better than uh, than what's on Spotify.
0: Yeah, for sure. I thought CDs were fantastic.
1: It's, yeah, it's been fun to get back into CDs and to have like a collection. You know, it's like I have a lot of CDs, but it's finite. You know, so it's like it's like the other day I wanted to listen to some Mahler. So okay, I got two choices. I got the First Symphony and I got Das Lied von der Erde. I think that's what it's called. And
0: das that's Lied van der Erd. it. Fun to yeah.
1: Okay, cool. You know Sounds what I'm good. talking
0: about. Yeah, yeah. Just so it's like that it
1: that's here. all I had, and and uh, that's I, I like that better than going to going to a streaming service and just being like, oh, I can listen to absolutely anything Mahler ever wrote, and you know several different recordings of each. I mean that's great in a way mm-hmm. if you're doing some research, mm-hmm. but but it's also uh, can drive you a little crazy, you know, because I really think that when it comes to listening to music at home, it's all about what my relationship to it is as a listener
0: oh man yeah you God. know for
1: me it's always more interesting to form a deeper connection with a with a recording than it is for me to have like sort of a, a superficial cursory relationship to it
2: Absolutely. and
1: uh, i mean i probably don't listen to as much free improvised music at home as i do as i am interested in going out to hear it you know like i love yeah. hearing improvise in person and there are certain are albums of improvised music that I've listened to repeatedly, but I find it happens a little bit less than with other types of music.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. That's definitely true. I'm, I, f- I found that to be one of the most interesting experiences of improvising in general is seeing audience, um, how audiences receive it, and especially in terms of how you present it. But uh, I mean, you know, I've done some concerts here and like had a lot of my students show up and my students are like not people who are, I mean, then, you know, they're not people who are listening to like on car music at all. You know what I mean? At all. And it, and then sometimes they come to a concert and, uh, and I almost think like, oh no, <laughs> they're going to hear what I really play. And they'll never come back again. But they a lot of times they're really thrilled, you know, but they mostly, when they talk about it afterwards, they talk about being able to watch the interaction. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I've had that experience actually, you know, on multiple occasions that really struck me um, where my entire sense about a performer or a musician changed completely when I saw them. You know what I mean? Uh, okay. Even I had an experience with um, Philip Glass. <laughs> I, I got the chance to see him in a pretty small setting and to talk to him afterwards. And I wasn't that, like ever a Philip Glass fan because I, uh, I don't know, I, I somehow felt like the music was too serious or something. And then I saw him on stage and there was something about his whole vibe that just seemed really lighthearted. You know what I mean? Which is a major contrast to how the music sounded, but I was watching him play and I thought like, Oh, this guy's not He's not so serious. <laughs> I mean, he's, you know, serious in the sense that he's for real, but he's not so damn ernst, you know? Oh. And,
1: uh, and uh, the one time I saw uh, Philip oh, go ahead yeah yeah.
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, the one time I saw Philip Glass was at the stone he was mm-hmm. playing with uh, Hal Wilner who was reading Allen Ginsberg poetry and Phil uh, Glass was uh, uh, I guess he was improvising. I don't, uh, you know I don't know how much he was drawing from stuff he'd composed before, but uh, yeah he was playing piano accompaniment to Hal Wilner reading these poems. It was fun, man. It was a really, really cool show. Um, though I actually saw Allen Ginsberg read once in the, uh, in the nineties and oh. that was fun too. I didn't even know that guy was alive in the nineties. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, what actually was one of the coolest things about that show too, was, um, he had a sign language interpreter up on stage with him and she was just like a virtuoso. I mean, she yeah. was just moving at the speed of light. It was <laughs> unbelievable. Nice. <laughs> That was at Nazareth College in uh, Rochester, which, ironically, was also—I don't know if "ironically" is the right word—coincidentally was also where I saw uh, several of the first jazz shows that I saw as a kid. Like way before I was into jazz, I uh, uh, my my mother took me to see Joe Pass when I uh, was—I think I was thirteen, maybe—and I was like a you know total total metalhead i didn't listen to anything besides metal the whole time that i was 13.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and uh and
0: i like that that's a good my, thing the whole time that i was 13. Yeah. it like sounds like a period of five or six years you know
1: oh wow well, i, I mean i don't know if it sure felt like a period of five or six years being 13 seemed to take forever i would say years like you know 11 to 14 were just like like a whole lifetime of of just misery <laughs> you know like enough misery to last for the rest of your life
2: yeah.
1: um but uh anyway it, it, you know it was cool to see joe pass but i gotta say i i could tell he was a very good guitar player but i didn't i didn't really like connect with the music
2: mm-hmm.
1: on the other hand like a year before um uh, the world sax quartet had played at the same place the nazareth cop the nazareth college uh auditorium and uh i had this uh my best friend lived across the street from me and he was like he was really into classical music, you know, we're, we're in like, like what, like eighth grade or something. He's really into classical music. And, uh, he was like, you know, he thought it was going to be a classical show. And Mm -hmm. I went just because, uh, I don't know, you know, why not? Right. And he really hated it. You know, Mm -hmm. he thought they were, he thought it was just a bunch of noise, but I was, I thought it was pretty cool. I thought like, you know, I could kind of relate to the energy of it. I remember thinking, uh, a sax quartet was playing heavy metal might be kind of what it would sound like.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you ever see that saxophone quartet? What are they called? That Matt Nelson was playing with? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh Battle battle Trance. I don't think so. Oh, my God. That shit was intense. That was intense. I saw them at that... Uh, what is that? I forgot the name of the place. God, that shit was surreal. That was a good shit. Yeah, man. Yeah. Man, but getting back to what you were saying about CDs, man, I was thinking about that, too. I, I, uh, I did actually sell all of my CDs and almost all of my records when I moved to Germany, just because I couldn't imagine how I was going to pay to transport them. And... uh You know, of course, at the time I just thought like, well, basically all of this stuff is available on Spotify. I kept about fifty CDs that are really rare, you know, and uh, I thought, well, I can access all this stuff. And uh, man, but it's um, it's interesting. Like I have become quite a lazy. I find myself becoming quite a lazy listener, you know, and uh, and springing around a lot, or like not listening to some. You know, I might hear a record that I think is fantastic, and then. I don't listen to it again. You know what I mean? There's a feeling that I always have to find something new, you know, or there's also a a strange, I always have this with jokes, you know, like I've heard some really, really great jokes, like some fantastic jokes. And then I've heard some jokes that are very standard and boring. And if I try to think, think of a joke, I can only think of the boring ones, you know? And I have this with music. Well, not to say these people are boring, but honestly, like when I think to listen to some music, if I think like, oh, I'm gonna listen to some jazz, I mean, and these guys are great, but I just think John Coltrane, Miles Davis, I just think of the biggest names. You know what I mean? Well, you could do worse. Yeah. Okay. In the jazz realm, that's fine. I, you know, of course that's terrific, but like, but uh, there's some weird void in my head where like, um, I don't know, once I log on to Spotify, like I, um, in my mind goes into a different mode and it's, very hard for me it's like i'm trying to it's like i'm trying to remember something i can't remember it you know what i mean or uh yeah it's like i think
1: i want to listen to some rock music and the only album i could think of is aerosmith's pump yeah
2: yeah yeah, yeah.
1: You know, i think i like i like having a collection of music you know and i like having it physically in my space yeah. you know it's like right there there's like a thousand cds right on that wall there yeah. and next to it there's 500 lps yeah you know i like that because i can browse the collection yeah so if i'm not thinking there's this specific thing that i'm hearing in my head that i want to hear which happens a lot but sometimes it's like i just want to listen to some music well what do we have here you know here's a thousand cds that years ago i haven't bought cds in a long time but you know this is this is like what i spent the you know the the 90s basically doing was buying all these cds because it was the only way that i could hear the music that i was interested in
2: mm-hmm. and then
1: uh, i got a lot of these records back in the early you know the first 10 12 years of uh the 2000s because uh suddenly they were well i don't know if suddenly but there were all these cool record stores and it seemed like more were opening mm-hmm. and records were like pretty cheap. I mean, there were, they were, uh, it was easy to get cool records. I think they've, I think records have gotten more expensive. I know at a certain yeah. point I stopped buying a lot of records because the prices started going up a lot. Um, and then also all that stuff became available on Spotify, which I was into for a while, you know, for the last like six or seven years, I feel like I've done most of my music listening on the streaming stuff, but, uh, yeah, now I'm going back to the physical thing. It sounds better and it's, uh, i don't know it's like i I have a different relationship to it than i do to something that just exists online
0: yeah that's definitely for sure man man we uh, like
1: like streaming services are an amazing resource you know it's like if i'm teaching a kid and they're like i want to learn this song and i've never heard the song before i can just look it up and find it and teach it to them of course yeah that's great or if there's anything that i'm curious about because like i'm you know i'm a very curious listener it's like i want to i kind of want to hear everything Yeah, yeah and uh and everything is available that's that's amazing but uh ultimately i think it's more important to have stronger relationships with the uh with a smaller amount of music Damn just man. what we love you know it's like i'm not gonna love everything that i hear and uh while i want to be constantly exposed to hearing new things that i might love i want to dig more into the things that i do love god,
0: god definitely i mean i especially remember being younger and having to save up money for a month to buy a cd you know and but geez, man like uh, I don't know if you know this uh, record from Ahmad Jamal called The Awakening do you know this
1: uh-huh. Uh huh. no no I've never heard that one
0: it's good man it's really good but I mean I remember uh, when I bought that CD it's not the only one it just comes to mind like it was for like a half a year just a kind of a ritual I would come home from school and listen to that CD at least two times but maybe more every day you know And just sit there, you know, and like, I mean, I also used to, I mean, I mean, part of that probably just has to do with being young, you know, and being really having a tendency to become entranced, you know, and to find things very magical, you know, and also not having anything else to do. But, um, but I mean, I wouldn't, I didn't, I wasn't distracted. I would, I would really just sit on the bed, just sit there and listen to the CD two, three times, four times every day for half a year, the same CD, you know. And uh, yeah. what I always find amazing about music is, um, I mean, I, I started thinking about this in terms of some other things too, like also um, with music, but I, I thought about this also with like, um, doing any kind of sports, you know, it's like, um, it's almost, to me, it's almost a, a, a litmus test for whether or not something is really um, a good thing to do or not is um, if it's a really great thing, then the more I do it, then the more I love it. You know what I mean? And if it's, um, you know, something not so good, like, let's say, eating sugar, you know? I mean, we could think of worse examples, but I don't think we need to. Like, a little bit's nice, but, like, the more I do it, the more I feel gross. You know what I mean? And, well, in
1: any given sitting, yes.
0: Yeah, right, right. But it's like... Yeah. Uh,
1: well, I've you certainly know? had the capacity to come back to that sugar over and over again. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah. But, you know, I find that with music, like you know, with that record that I listen to, like, uh, you know, multiple times a day for a half a year, like instead of getting bored, I just found it greater and greater every time I heard it. You know what I mean? And I, I had the same thing with, uh, when I took a, a harmony class at a night class at Juilliard, you know, I had never really spent like basically any time paying attention to Mozart, like none. Mm. And we spent a whole semester analyzing a string quintet. And the first time we heard it, I don't know, I had the same reaction that I always had to Mozart. It didn't interest me, you know? and uh yeah we spent a semester analyzing the shit out of it and like by the end of the semester i thought the music every time i heard it it moved me to tears you know what i mean Mm, Uh, wow instead of becoming dull from analysis and repeated repetition you know what i mean it became richer and richer i mean that's what i got from connie also you know i i don't know why i never listened to like i didn't ever spend much time listening to billy holiday you know what i mean I think I think I mostly you know everybody's heard her voice and I think I mostly just heard it on the kind of superficial level you know because I had never sat down with it you know
1: yeah yeah well you know maybe I'll just speak for a second about that because uh, it might be cool for anybody who's hearing this podcast to actually hear a little bit about what uh, what Connie's approach to that was definitely which that, you know Connie was a uh, a teacher of improvisation you know if you if you took lessons with her. Before the first lesson, she'd say to you, you know, that's what I teach. I teach improvisation and, uh, you know, I think, you know, jazz improvisation, basically, although, you know, her definition of that was pretty flexible. Um, And, uh, you know, one of the ways that she would teach it would be she would encourage her students to sing along with recorded solos and in particular recorded solos from uh, from basically like the, the late 20s through the early 50s by a fairly select group of artists. And it wasn't that she was putting down artists who were you know, other artists. It was just that you know, her own interests were, uh, were you know, these particular artists. And I think a lot of this was coming from uh, her longtime association with Lenny Tristano, who was the, the person who first suggested that she sing along with records. And uh, he had a, you know, a select group of artists that were the ones that he suggested his students sing along with. And uh, Billie Holiday was one of those, uh, as were uh, Lester Young, uh, Roy Eldridge, um, Louis Armstrong. I don't know. If, I don't know. I'm, I'm speaking as to what Connie's suggestions were. I don't know mm-hmm. exactly what Tristano's were. Um, Charlie Christian. <clears throat> and then uh, into the 40s, Charlie Parker, Bud Powell, Fats Navarro um and then uh tristano himself and uh lee konitz and warren marsh can you think of any others
0: no i think that's a good list i mean i was with her for a far shorter time than you were so
1: yeah but you know i mean she, she told me all that stuff in the first couple lessons
0: that's true yeah she had me sing roy eldridge charlie christian lester young billy Holiday. yeah man
1: she was definitely cool if you sung along with other people, for sure. I mean, it wasn't like a restrictive list, it was just a, just suggestions.
0: Oh, well, here's the wildest one, man. You know, like, you know, at, at that time, and as is still the truth, but at that time, I was uh, completely <laughs> obsessed with dirty projectors, you know? And for anybody listening out there, I like everything that Dirty Projectors or Dave Longstreth has done, but he put out some early, uh, like, home cassette multi-track stuff which i think is phenomenal but um so i was listening to some of that early home home recording stuff which is way more like raw and weird sounding and but that's nowhere near connie's you know musical genre it's not at all her 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 deal but i you know because i was so into it like she was curious about what i was into and i played her one of his songs and um and then her reaction to it was something that i don't think I can't imagine anybody else having even thought about this and she said that she noticed that you could hear from the recording how often he inhaled she said like a lot wow. of singers would take a deep breath and try to sing you know as long as, as they could on one breath and then take another deep you know fast breath and she said that you know he would take lots of inhalations between shorter phrases you know and so you know she didn't have too much to say about the music itself but this inhalation and then my assignment you know and this was my assignment for I don't remember how long it was two weeks to a month or something was to sing along with him but my job was um to inhale every time he inhaled (laughs) and uh because she said he was you know really good you know he was inhaling a lot and uh I did this, you know, and I came back there after the first week and I said, Connie, like, I can barely do this. I'm getting like lightheaded and dizzy. <laughs> you know? And she said, yeah, that's because you're not used to having enough oxygen. You don't know what it feels like to get enough oxygen.
1: <laughs> yeah, she definitely said that to me a few times. Connie sure likes to focus on breathing. That's great. Um, you know, I think just going back to the thing about getting deeper into artists, I mean, That was what happened for me when I started singing along with all those solos was, you know, I would spend a week singing with a solo and I'd sing it, you know, 10 times a day for a while until I would learn how to do it. Mm. And, uh, you know, this was singing along with the recording, you know, put the recording on, sing through it, miss every note or every other note, go back, sing through it again, make a couple more notes, go back, sing through it again, make a few more like a like that was sort of the process. it wasn't like um stop the tape and learn to sing it i uh, obviously I'm not saying this to you, Wilson, you know right right, right right I'm saying it for anybody who's listening to the podcast who might not know and uh yeah, I felt like it was it was sort of um the equivalent of like doing a deep reading of a um of a novel, you know, I remember when I was in high school, I had this uh, really really great english teacher who the first the first uh week of school that year we spent a whole week reading one paragraph of a novel Mm. and just like sort of analyzing every word of that paragraph and talking about why the author chose that word instead of other words Mm. and uh it was like you know it, it really opened my mind up to something it was like you can actually understand literature on that kind of level. I hadn't known that, you know, I was just a kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was, um, I remember when I started singing along with solos, it was almost like the equivalent of that, except it was intuitive because, you know, it wasn't analytically based. You know, we were not writing down the solo and looking at what every, you know, how every note relates to the underlying harmony. It wasn't that kind of thing. Right. Um, It was more a question of really learning how to hear this solo and feel it on a you know moment by moment level yeah definitely and uh, and i mean of course once you know the solo yeah sure you can write it down and look at how each note relates to the underlying harmony but uh this, this is sort of the first thing to do with it was just really really learn it really just like know how the thing goes and what it feels like in your body
0: yeah man well that's giant that's that's absolutely giant you know, I, uh...
1: I had also, I mean, I'd listened to a little bit of Billie Holiday. I had like the, uh, like the Commodore stuff and, uh, and, and a little bit of the uh, Columbia stuff. And, you know, I, I loved that stuff, but I definitely got a much deeper relationship to that music as I sung along with it. And I really never listened to um, much of, uh, I listened to very little Lester Young. Mm -hmm. and almost no Louis Armstrong I mean it's like imagine being a jazz musician and not having listened to Louis Armstrong I mean that's like well I think about that now and it blows my mind I mean that music is like it's so fundamental it's so good it's just like it's kind of like the 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 you know just the heaviest baddest shit ever and then uh you know I, I don't think I'd ever heard Roy Eldridge and I listened to a little bit of Charlie Parker, but you know, I always thought Charlie Parker was like it was like the omnibook, you know. It's like you gotta just some just some stuff you've gotta learn if you're gonna get towards playing the modern stuff. Right. And uh to actually hear Charlie Parker and what he was about and really develop a an understanding and a relationship to that music was just one of the great I feel like that's like one of the great things that's ever happened to me.
0: Yeah, well you know that's worth it. But you know, like, I mean, being people who are born, you know, around the time that we were born, uh, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but I think that what happens with somebody like Louis Armstrong or Billie Holiday is like, okay, there they were, and they came on the scene and they were doing something really fresh. And at that time, it was really raw and, and, and powerful, you know. But of course, like, especially with those two and their singing, you know, there have been many decades of. Well, first of all, there's like many, 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 many people who sing in a way that's imitative of that. And like a lot of those people are motherfucking annoying to listen to. You know what I mean? And then even among the ones that are not annoying to listen to, it's also just that like all of the music that we've heard in between is informed by that. You know what I mean? So I think that it's, it is kind of, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but like, you know, for me, probably the first time I, not the first time, but the first times that I would have ever just heard Billie Holiday kind of passively or Louis Armstrong. Like I would have heard it in a, in a way that's not fair to those musicians because I would have heard it. It would have reminded me of everything that I've heard, which came after them. You know what I mean? Do you know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, yeah. And so it's, it took that like singing along with it to get, to get, um, yeah, to get back. and then, I mean, the same with when I analyze that Mozart. I mean, how much music have you heard? Like, all music that you've ever heard is, like, derivative of Mozart. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And movies have
1: completely ruined, you know, orchestral classical music for me. I mean, maybe ruined is a strong word, but it's like, I feel like the, the sort of the film soundtrack industry has co-opted that sound so much that it's difficult to hear that music without feeling like it's tied to some sort of cinematic emotional affect.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: I mean, particularly with like the the second half of the 19th century stuff, Uh like Mahler and stuff like that. It just sounds like, you know, soundtrack music sometimes.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I mean,
1: also you know like like uh yeah i mean i didn't i couldn't hear Louis armstrong at all before i started singing along with the hot fives and sevens like i just i just like could not hear what was in that music for me and mm-hmm. it just sounded old you know it sounded like it sounded like old music um you know I, it was interesting i was teaching a student last week like a i think like a 14 year old student and i and i was uh showing her some stuff from the 70s and i realized for her to learn music from the 70s is like, for me, when I was her age, to learn music from the 1920s.
0: I've definitely been thinking about this.
1: Except it's not, you know, because like back in the 90s when I was learning, you know, to think about learning music from the 1920s, it was a very old style. Whereas for this girl to learn music from the 70s, I mean, that's basically still where we're at in in terms of pop music i mean it really it's basically the same thing yeah 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 i don't you know we could certainly talk about whether that's a good thing or not but yeah you know it's a big difference between learning that music now versus like when we were kids in the 90s learning music from the 20s
0: right 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 i mean i thought about that too you know uh you know having, having a young kid and like being 40 and it gets i started doing that math but but like um i don't i when, it's, when you talk about any music that's uh, from the era of recording, it, it doesn't have a one-to-one, you can't think of it as a one-to-one chronological relationship, you know what I mean? Because the recording itself is not old, you know what I mean? So the pace at which recorded music evolves or like to, uh, continues to sort of circle in on itself or to continue to reference itself Is not the same in the last 10 years as it would have been over the last you know 10 years times three you know what i'm saying it's like um when 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 the thomas edison you know first started recording you know making recordings like the people playing that music were not informed by recorded music at all so the because it didn't exist before that so the it would have taken some time before recorded music itself started to inform and influence the music which was being recorded whereas like we are except for you know in a few you know uh, with with a few exceptions like we are mostly in a dialogue with recorded music you know what i'm saying does that make any sense yeah
1: and this last year we're entirely in a dialogue with recorded music
0: yeah well that's a good point yeah
1: you know because there is no live music
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: there was a little bit this summer
0: yeah i played one gig this year
1: (laughs) oh yeah i I think i played uh well after the covid smackdown i played i think i played two two actual gigs and several like you know in the park kind of things there was a lot of music in the in the park and in the streets in new Mm. york Last summer, but now, I mean, last summer, I mean, this is part of the time thing. It's like last summer was now, you know, we're talking about five months ago. I played, I think the last time I played in, in, uh, with, a, in public was, um, was, uh, whatever that day was that, that, uh, Biden's victory was announced. It was a Saturday. It was like uh-huh. early November, uh, oh, okay. you know, it was not election day. It was like a week later. No, but and, I do remember uh, that day. And there were, you know, there were the the streets of New York were like, you know, there were people just honking, honking horns and, you know, cheering in the streets and whatnot. And it was a really nice day. It was like 70 degrees out. And uh, I went over to Prospect Park and played, played with uh, with a few friends over there.
0: That's dope. That's dope. That
1: was probably the last time I played in public. Yeah, yeah. But I guess it's like, what, three months ago now?
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. So yes,
1: we're entirely in a dialogue with recorded music. I get what you're saying.
0: Okay, okay, so that was it. My chat with Adam Kane. Or at least the parts I chose to reveal. Plus uh, some of his music. Which is obviously very diverse. Uh, spliced 10. One thing I forgot to mention at the beginning was uh, his latest release uh, under the name New York 69 in duo with drummer Kevin Shea Uh, I forgot to mention it although Adam did not and some of the music you heard in there was from that project all right so stay tuned this is Druff Records out of Hanover Germany and we'll be coming at you again in the future with some more great talks and some more great music and make sure to check out our catalog on Spotify, Bandcamp and all the other channels all right be good
1: Range was until very recently and is it good good what is a good vocal range like broad well uh i mean in a in a if i if i sing in the early morning i can hit a low a low c mm-hmm. so i sing with a drum you know i sing with a with a with a uh you know like a tambora kind of drum yeah. bass, I'm but it's like, uh, you know, it's a C, C and a G. Mm. So uh, yeah, if I sing, if I start singing when I right when I wake up, I can actually hit that low C. And oh, nice. And later in the day, I usually can't get down there. I can usually only get down to about a D. Oh.
2: And
1: And uh, you know, I can sing up about two octaves from that C before I start having to uh, just, you know, go into I guess falsetto. You know? mm. And I'm really. You know, I'm not a singer. I'm not like a trained singer at all. So I don't even know if that's like if that's cool or not. You know, I don't yeah. know. I'm just sort of. Using, I've always just used my voice as a tool to help me understand and practice aspects of musicianship. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then once I go into that falsetto range, I can sing up to about a A, a or a B flat. Hmm. So you know, it's like it's uh you know almost. But not quite three octaves, you know, two two and a half octaves or so.
0: That's not all bad. That's
1: yeah, pretty damn good. Yeah, but it's but it doesn't always sound good. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it's not a, you know. I, I mean, these days when I'm singing with a drone, I'm just focusing on on tuning each pitch to be you know in tune with the drone.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So maybe it sounds good on that level if it's in tune, which uh, you know more and more I can actually get these notes to be. To be you know it's just this precise spot where each note just kind of clicks into uh into tuning with the drone
0: right you know? it makes me think of computer language i heard um some computer nerds saying something about um i can't remember if it was bluetooth or, or some type of connectivity but they said um oh yeah i think it was bluetooth because i was asking if there could be a possibility that the signal would be like distorted or something you know the way a radio signal can be kind of like halfway there yeah. and they said like uh no it's either a handshake or not a handshake and i guess handshake is computer language for like the things talking to each other you know what i mean but they said like no in this coding it's either like connected or not connected you know what i mean and uh i mean i don't know anything about how computer shit works but i always thought about this like with the in terms of hitting pitches you know it's not close enough it's not like a little flat but you know what i mean it's like handshake or not a handshake the resonance is there or, it's not there, and that's it, you know,
1: yeah, although you know I mean it definitely is possible to sing where it's not the handshake, you know, it's like, well, yeah, it's like, yeah, but if you're if you're going for that uh for that just intonation thing where every note is totally precisely in tune with the fundamental, yeah,
0: yeah, I
1: mean, of course, then you know if you look at even temperament, the whole thing is not a handshake, that's true, you know, except octaves,
0: All right.
2: And yeah, that's man. cool. We hear it and it's and and we we dig it, you know. It's all right.